Sorry, I'm just looking for the book that I just finished reading that I wanted to put as the thing I'm fascinated by, but I cannot. Is that it? Is that Very it? Funny. <laughs> Very funny, JR. I can just see like I can see one or two books behind you, so I was trying to be helpful. Alright, whatever. Leave me alone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fascinating Podcast. I'm Matt Michelados. I'm J.R. Foresteros. And I'm Kathy Kong. On this week's show, we're going to be talking with author Aaliyah Joy about her new book, Glorious Weakness, and the interesting world of Christian publishing. But before that, let's talk about this story about a <laughs> farmer. <laughs> Matt, you found this story. I did. It's a delightful story. I just heard I like heard a snippet of this on the radio. Oh, this is man. breaking news. It won't be by the time this episode airs, but this poor man. He's a farmer and he stepped into some heavy equipment <laughs> and it started pulling his leg in. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> when you read the interview, it's pretty I mean it he survives. That's what makes it funny, right? Yeah, that's I how did that's, he survive, Matt? He uh, so he says he he his foot went into the machine and he could he could hear his foot he says like knocking around in there and he goes I know this is gonna be this ain't good that's what he said and then his leg starts going and he's trying to pull his leg out and he's like I'm gonna pass out and then it's gonna pull me all the way in and I'll be done and he doesn't have a cell phone with him or anything but then he remembers he does have his pocket knife and so he saws off his leg with his pocket knife. What kind of pocket knife? I, I don't know. It just said pocket knife. So I, I mean, pocket what? knife. It can't be. I, I'm assuming like a Swiss Army knife. Like I don't know. That must or maybe have been it's a razor blade. I, big. Who knows? It's a big. Listen, dollar. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure if you took it off at the knee, you could do it pretty quick. <gasps> <laughs> Especially if you got someone pulling on the other end. Which well, it's did. not someone. It's mechanical. <laughs> Right, it's someone or something is automated right. help. Suck him in. It's uh, it's horrible, but um, could do you think either of you could do this? Because this no. is this is similar to the hundred twenty seven hours story. No, I'd be know. dead. I'd just go all the way in. Kathy, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I'm pretty <laughs> certain I'd try and then like pass out halfway through, and then and, and they I'd be the story that they'd be like, oh. Well, he tried. My problem is I wouldn't even have a pocket knife with me. I'd be like, I have my keys. That's true. I don't have a pocket knife. I have one of those like little, it's like a credit card shaped tool in my wallet. And it, it, you know, like you can tighten screws with it. You can probably open a bottle with it. Maybe file your nails, but I don't, I'll have to take a look just in case I ever get stuck. Does it make you feel like you want to carry a pocket knife now? No, not really. No. No. I mean, I usually have a, a nail file, but not a pocket knife. <laughs> I mean, it's sharp-ish. It's at least got like a point on the end. No, it's not even one of those. It's like a, you know, an emery board type. Like, oh, okay. Well, his emery board's going to get 25% less work now. Yeah. Yikes. Wow. 
Well, uh, yeah, we'd love to know if any of our listeners uh, have either had to do this or think they could survive. Um, you can let us know at, at the uh, fascinatingpodcast.com or on Twitter using the hashtag fascinating or, of course, at facebook.com slash the fascinating podcast. Uh, but we, we really do have a great interview today that has nothing to do with uh, self-mutilation. So uh, <laughs> we are, as Kathy mentioned, we're talking to Aaliyah Joy. Uh, she's an author. And I'm just going to read a little bit from her bio here because it's great. Uh, she's an author who believes that darkness is illuminated when we grasp each other's hand and walk into the night together. So she writes poignantly about her life with bipolar disorder as well as grief, faith, marriage, poverty, race, embodiment, and keeping fluent in the language of hope. Uh, sushi is her love language, which I can't believe we didn't even talk about, but that's all right. We'll just have her back on another time. And she balances her cynical idealism with humor and awkward pauses, which we also didn't have any of. I should have, that is true. Should have read this more closely so we could have had awkward pauses and eaten sushi. Uh, so she lives in central Oregon with her husband, her tiny Asian mother, her three kids, a dog, a bunny, and a bunch of chickens. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get over to our interview with Aaliyah. So welcome to the show, Aaliyah Joy. How are you? I'm Yay! good. How are you? Good, good, good. So uh, one of the questions that we ask all of our guests as we start off is what fascinates you? What fascinates me? Um, so, so many things. Let's see. Are we talking like pop culture stuff? Or are we talking like deep and heavy things? Anything. 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 Okay, deep and heavy, I think... We have been talking before, like the Christian industrial complex of publishing oh. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, light and like easy. Um, I just watched Endgame with my kids. Nice. Um, on Monday. Did you, did you manage to remain unspoiled? I totally did. And I've even been on Twitter. I was like, wow. I like gouging my eyes out. Yeah. And my daughter saw it. She was with my nieces. Um, and so she had seen it ahead of time and we were all like, you can't tell us anything. So I actually managed to make it completely through with no spoilers. Is wow, it a movie that you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, I lo- my kids are like insane comic book, um, like junkies. My daughter's whole room is like plastered with comic books and comic book heroes. And she does like fan art and all kinds of, they know like all the, lore and the different universes does she have does she have a favorite character Um, she she likes spider-man and she likes moon knight oh nice wow um oh there's another one that i can't remember is it the unbeatable squirrel girl she does love squirrel girl she actually just did a paper on squirrel girl the other really other day for her lit class and i was like we went to this comic-con thing um a while back and she she had this whole like costume and she <laughs> took a picture with a girl who was dressed like a squirrel, you know, a squirrel girl. And I, she's, I'm like, I just, when they first started getting super into it, they would tell me about these different characters and they'd be like, okay, <laughs> real or not real. And I would try to guess like <laughs> as they were telling me about these different you know, superheroes. Like, is this a real superhero or did they just make stuff up? And oh, it's awesome. Um, it's so hard. Like some of them are just, I can't even remember. Some of them but are they're weird. Like, yeah. yeah. Their superpowers, like she can control squirrels. And I'm like, what? So, <laughs> yeah, that's real. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We should have a show with Jose's son and Aaliyah, your daughter. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. My daughter, Zoe, who yes. is 18. 
she was so mad that that you guys did the um that you guys did the Avengers Endgame podcast without her. She was like, I thought they wanted me on that show. I was like, well, I wasn't there. And she's like, I could have been there. I was like, oh, yeah. Sorry, kid. Zoe, if you're listening, I think you know who to be mad at for that. (laughs) His name rhymes with Dat Bicolatos. Dat, well, does it? (laughs) Sort of. Sort of, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Kathy and Aaliyah, how do you two know each other? What is the secret connection here? Um, I'm usually called Kathy at conferences. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh interesting. Where we're both at, <laughs> at least once. Right? You're mistaken yes. for each other. You're saying, yeah. I you put it on happened. your name tag. Okay, I got. Even you. though I'm like a hundred hundred pounds heavier than her and different color hair and. Yeah, so but, uh, that happens sometimes. But you're both Asian American, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. of course, that yes. makes perfect sense. So when you're like, you know, one or two out of like, well, sometimes well, the only two are like. <laughs> we'll just assume that. Wait, at a at a Christian conference? Yeah, I know. <laughs> shocking, right? I just yeah. trying to wrap my head around that. I don't. How did we meet? I don't. We just met on online. Online. So. How did any of remember. us actually meet? Like randomly online? Like you liked each other's. I think you know what or? she was one of the only Korean American writers that was writing in in oh. spaces like there just there weren't um, very many when I first was like looking for people and she, I think she was maybe the first or one of the first ones when I was like searching out um, Korean American voice well Asian American voices just in general but um, yeah so uh, maybe Twitter. Probably. I feel like I everybody through Twitter. Yeah, it probably was. That's how that's how I met Kathy. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Actually, <laughs> I, I yeah. Who so was it? Was it on each other. on Grace Ward's wall the other day, Kathy? You were like, "Wait, how do you two know each other?" And yes. I was like, "Kathy, come on." Yes, I know. I was like, "Wait, the world is all <laughs> on the internet." Internet stock yeah. people tell they're my friends. That's that's, yeah. that's how it goes. Yeah. Twitter. Well, and and Jr. and I have actually met. I've mm-hmm. met Clay in person. So Matt is the only one of our co-hosts I haven't met in And person. see, I met Matt, but like very, very briefly. So yeah. that fills in all the gaps. Right. But y'all, because y'all you have and spoken I are the at- same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will share my experience with you and we will merge. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so that's how we know each other. And it really. So you really... don't have embarrassing stories? No. I mean, just, just, no, there's no dirt. No. Mm-hmm. No. Well, I want to hear Aaliyah confirm that before we move on from this question. <laughs> she was she was suspiciously <laughs> silent. Boxer conversations, and you know we keep it in the vault. It goes oh, in the vault. Oh, vault gets locked. But that's good. No, and there's nothing embarrassing. Nice. <laughs> not yet, at least. <laughs> not yet, or not that I would, not that I would ever share. Uh, take it I to mean, the grave. we have another forty <laughs> minutes to go to make yeah. sure that's still true. <laughs> Uh, so Aliyah, you, you have a new book out called glorious weakness and I'm curious, you've been a, you've been a writer for a long time. You've contributed to several projects and different places online. Like how did, how did, how did a book come about? Like, what was it that you were like, okay, it's time to do a book length project. And like, how did you, how did you choose this particular book for your first book? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I chose this book. I feel like this book chose me. I, it's not, I mean, I wrote a book about weakness and cover things like poverty and mental illness and race and sexual abuse. I mean, it's just lots of, lots of stuff. And so, um, 
it wasn't like the kind of book that you're like, Hey, I think I want to write a book about like how weak I am. Um, <laughs> but I felt like there was a gap, um, in just sort of how we talk about weakness and how we talk about poverty and how we talk about, um, suffering. And, um, and so it started out with really maybe I was in the emergency room, I was in pain. Um, and I was wondering if I was going to be seen, um, and heard and understood because that, that has been an issue sometimes to get care, um, both because of my class and sometimes my race. And, um, and there was a woman that came in that was just in a tremendous amount of pain and, um, you know, like cussing and just, I could see the people around us just like judging, judging her pain, judging, you know, the way that she looked and the way that she carried herself and whether or not, you know, she was, um, struggling with addiction. And, and, and I just remember thinking like the way that we engage other people's pain is just, it's just really screwed up. Um, the way that we lack empathy for people that are hurting. And so this book kind of started out of a place of, of <laughs> pain. Um, and it just didn't feel like a blog post. It just felt, um, I'm a long writer anyway. I, you know, places that are like 500 words or less, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Making a point in 500 words is just, I mean, it's almost impossible. It's amazing that I can do Twitter because um, <laughs> I'm definitely not, um, don't tend to be very brief. But uh, it just was so much more than a blog post. And I looked around and felt like this wasn't something that was really being talked about um, in the way that I wanted to talk about it. And, um, and I felt like it was an obedience. I felt like it was something that God was calling me to at that time. I don't know that I would have, like, I wasn't one of those people that were like, I can't wait to write a book. And like, you know, some people are kind of chasing after that. That was not really, I was hesitant, um, to write a book, just knowing, you know, how, like, how hard it would be. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was really hard. So, um, so yeah, but that was kind of how it came about. It just didn't feel like a blog post and it felt like I had all this material and I, I kept asking for a different story. And, um, and this is, you know, this is really what, what remains. So it's what I wrote about. So Aliyah, you mentioned um, the ER visit. Is this the same ER visit that you start your book out with? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So the first chapter is titled The Nakedness of Need, The Glorious Weakness of Poverty. And you mention this trip to the ER and you talk about your teeth. Mm-hmm. So hold the teeth. Yeah. And um, and that idea of being poor in spirit. So right. I I grew up hearing that phrase. Um, but you also mentioned that that's not necessarily how we engage with poor in spirit. Right. Right. So talk a little bit more about what you saw, um, what the disconnect was and what do you think the average person is thinking when they hear like, Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I was first thinking about writing it, that was actually my, um, that's the title that I originally pitched to my agent was the, for the book was Poor in Spirit. And I wanted to explore through, through memoir and, you know, um, well, originally it was going to just be memoir, but what it, what it looks like to be poor in spirit. And I think, 
you know, during that time, I asked people like, what do you think of when you think of porn? And like, nobody really had um, an answer. It was kind of just this one, like, we kind of skip over that one. I feel like sometimes as we're reading through the Beatitudes, like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And people kind of associate it with like, oh, maybe it means like being meek and meek is like really under, misunderstood. All of these ones that we, we just, we don't, um, we don't grapple with well in our society, like being poor in spirit doesn't make any sense. And so I think people um, kind of see it as this, this momentary, like, I don't know, like humility or something that, that, you know, therefore um, like God enters into somehow, but I don't think that people see it as um, a continuous thing that Mm -hmm. we are, that when you're poor in spirit, there's a, you know, when you study the word um, and you go into it, 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 it connotes like a, beggarliness and it's um destitute it's um pitiful and it is not something that we would esteem in our society like at all um that that kind of idea of being destitute we're a society that prides itself on um yeah our our success and our abilities and our capabilities and um, and so when, when I was looking at this and thinking, you know, I, I was really struggling with this idea of like, what, what if weakness is my spiritual gift, like mine specifically, like, what if that is what God has given me to bless the church? And, um, you know, I have bipolar disorder, I have chronic illness, I have, so, you know, as I was writing through these things and continuously showing up in these spaces, <laughs> um, with like all the weakness showing, like all of the lack apparent um, and, and getting to the point, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, you're so brave. You wrote this stuff. You're so vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. And I really, you know, part of me was like, I really feel like some of it is just that I am exhausted. <laughs> I am so tired and pretending that everything is okay on the outside. is just eventually it gets old. Mm-hmm. And so there's a truth telling that I think like a reckoning that happens when you realize I don't want to pretend anymore. Like, let's just be honest. And the more honest I was, the more I realized that, um, that there's a space for admitting the places that were weak and the places that were lacking and the places that were poor. And it, it's not just material poverty, although I think that's something we don't talk about much um, in the church. Like we, we want the before and after we want the, I was poor and then God provided, or I was depressed. And then, you know, I got saved and wasn't anymore. And, um, my story is not the before and after, um, it's the middle. And for a lot of people, I think it's the middle people live their whole lives being poor in spirit and are never recognized for the ways that that contributes to the church, to the body of of Christ and the way that we, um, the way that we belong to each other, both in, you know, people serving us and us serving others out of our weakness. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was all, (laughs) it was all something that I wanted to explore. Um, because I just felt like we don't, we don't always have good conversations about it in this way. Or conversations at all. (laughs) Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it, it makes it hard when you're someone who has a a, a chronic po- poverty of spirit, or what, what you know, whatever kind of thing yeah. you talked about, whether it's a chronic yeah. illness or uh, something like that, because the narrative is always, I think, maybe particularly in the U.S., the narrative is yeah. um, some kind of, uh, 
I like healing or idealized wholeness rather than, as you said, like the, the, the poverty of spirit is this like ongoing lived reality mm-hmm. where God meets us instead of right. like, uh, like a precursor. So it's like, Oh, right. I'll, it's like step one on the road to a better you, you know, like you right. humble yourself and then God fixes you and then yep. you get to live your best life now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even in the book, you know, I, I, we did an excerpt for um, CT women and the original excerpt that they pulled was, um, was a part in my book where um, it's before I came to new Christ in my teenage years, I was having a mixed bipolar state, although I didn't know it at the time. And I was dealing with, you know, contemplating suicide and, you know, kind of at the end of myself and, you know, through the story, I end up, um, sort of having this encounter with God and wrestling over the next couple months, um, with scripture and becoming a Christian, you know, through, through that process. And for a lot of, for a lot of people, that would be where the story would end. Right. So here I am at the end of myself and then Jesus meets me. And then, you know, that's like the testimony, but the truth of it is that, you know, I got saved when I was 16. Um, I'm now 40 and there have been countless many times where I still struggle with suicidal ideation. Um, even after I'm a Christian, even after I'm abiding in Christ, even after um, I have, you know, faith and have been walking with God for many, many years. And so for the people whose story doesn't end, whose struggle continues, you know, I think we're, we are a phenomenal in crisis. So if my house burns down, I guarantee you, like, my friends would rally and there would be a GoFundMe and, you know, we would probably get our needs, you know, as much taken care. People can um, contribute to that because there's an end to it. There's a goal, you know, the the little, um, you know, I used to fill the temperature on the temperature line on the, uh, when you were doing fundraising, I don't know. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. People used to do like the church building and they'd yeah. like fill up the, you know, the, and so people can see that like, we're, Hey, we're almost to the goal and it meets this one need. But when that, when that goal line is like never ending, like I will be on medication and need care for the rest of my life probably. And so will a lot of other people that are struggling with chronic things. So are a lot of other people that have, um, you know, like cyclical poverty and continue to be short on rent and continue to be short on grocery money and continue to have their car break down and medical expense. Like those people that are just gaping need, um, nobody wants to walk with those people because it just costs us too much, you know, and, and there can be this mentality. Well, you know, they need to change and make different decisions because it's somehow their fault that, they have not achieved what we have all achieved. The American dream, the pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, just choose joy. You know, all of these kind of platitudes that we we slap onto success um, that doesn't take into account so, so many things um, that the Bible continuously points out about how we're supposed to love um, what, what the Bible would consider maybe our weaker brothers and sisters. So because you are writing from a very not just a very personal, vulnerable place, but because you are writing specifically about poverty and weakness. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like? You, you alluded to it at the front end around the Christian industrial complex. Um, and all of us here on this podcast are authors. We've all written books and we've joked about 
like, oh, well, that means you're a success. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. I have arrived. I've, we've arrived. <laughs> we we're, did it. Good job, all of us. <laughs> yes. Rich and famous. Rich uh-huh. and famous. <laughs> um, but there is this particular space, one in this Christian publishing space, but then for the two of us as women, mm-hmm. what has that been like? <laughs> and women of color. Women of color. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's been a joy. <laughs> um, you know, there there are good things in there, but I think it's a confusing it's a confusing space to be in, and I think some of that is because we are so used to hearing stories from the from the the after that when you are writing a book from the middle or continuing, like at the end of my book, it doesn't tie up right. Neatly. There is no like, and then everything was great. Literally right before my book launched, I was like in bed for six weeks, um, almost catatonic. So that is something that keeps coming up. My health continues to be problems. My husband, you know, he works construction. He's a painter. So um, he got laid off. I think it was like the, the first or second week of book launch. He got laid off and I'm like, okay, well, like we, you know, and we're month to month with our mortgage We're you know, we're, we're just making it. My, our medical bills are tremendous and medical debt is huge. You know, um, we're not poor. We're not, you know, poor in the sense that, um, if, if we didn't have all of the, the medical bills that we have, we would probably be fine. But with those burdens, um, it's, it's just, it's just a continuous struggle. And so, being somebody that has written the book and is doing, you know, I remember um, I had signed the contract to read my audiobook and I had to travel to Portland, which is about four hours from where I live. And, um, you know, they were going to pay me to, to, to travel and to read, to have the sitting fee for my audiobook, but it was, I wouldn't be able to invoice it until after I had, had finished, you know, had finished the whole recording and stuff. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm looking at our checking account and there's like $74 in there. And I'm thinking I signed this contract before, you know, to drive, you know, to go, I have to be there for three days. Like, where am I going to stay? How am I going to afford gas money? How am I like, and I, here I am like this author of this book and nobody, nobody really gets that. Like that is, that is still a reality a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time. And so if you're not used to having people, that are, that are still struggling in those ways or that are writing from those spaces, um, it can be easy to discount like how hard it is for certain people to have access. Um, I see that a lot with writing conferences. I've been really blessed to have people sponsor me um, to go to things. I've had people um, help out with air miles and or let me share the room. And there've been a lot of things like that that have been opportunities that have been afforded to me. Um, and I have been very privileged to be able to go to a lot of things, but I always look at those kind of things and think, you know, who has access, who has the ability to tell their stories. And um, there are so many people who, who don't, who don't or are not able to tell their stories because they don't have that access um, because it costs, you know? And so it's been an interesting thing to be in the midst of this in a lot of these circles where, you know, people are <laughs> successful to a different level and are, you know, and, and to just feel completely, I mean, you know, I'm also an Enneagram four. So just feel like completely like I don't belong everywhere that I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is definitely something that in Christian publishing, being a woman of color, um, you know, I, 
um, got my GED. I dropped out of high school when I was 17. I don't have a college degree. Um, my husband's blue collar, you know, so I'm definitely writing from a different vantage point, um, than some other people. And, um, there are hurdles and obstacles that, and I'm writing as somebody who continues to struggle with mental illness. So, you know, I remember when I first talked to my mom about, you know, sort of coming out and, and using the word bipolar disorder, um, instead of just depression, because I had written for a while and, and talked about depression, but didn't, didn't actually use the word bipolar, um, because of the stigma and because, you know, I was still dealing with my own diagnosis and, um, and so, yeah, it was just, I remember thinking that, um, you know, here I am going to, I'm going to, I felt like convicted that I was supposed to write, write about it. And I remember talking to my mom who was, you know, this little tiny Asian woman who was extremely private and, you know, and I'm like talking about all the stuff and she's, um, I remember her saying like, you know, is, is this going to hurt you? Is this going to, what are, you know, what are people going to think in terms of, the limitations for me um, in terms of opportunity. Are they going to, you know, are you going to get speaking things if people know that you struggle in this way? Are you going to get opportunities to come? And, and, and there have been a lot of places that I haven't. And so I do wonder about that. Like the more vulnerable we are, the more honest we are, you know, does that limit our range and our our reach in some ways? Because I I don't fit that mold of, you know, successful Christian blogger, (laughs) you know, blonde with the, the beachy waves and the ankle booties and the, you know, <laughs> the chunky <look>. jewelry, <laughs> noonday jewelry. And, you know, I mean, so um, if you're not that, then what, you know, then what are you and where does your voice fit in that? And, and I'm not knocking, like, I have a lot of, I mean, I've written for Encourage, I've written for Grace Table, I've written in a lot of places that are, that are, you know, have started out or, you know, continue to be primarily white, primarily white audiences and um, and I'm extremely thankful for those readers and for those women. But there is there is this pushback in me where, you know, I sort of look around and I think this is like this is not a world that that a lot of the people that I know can relate to at all. Like this is not the world that we live in. Um, Aaliyah, do you do you find that um, so a lot of what you're describing is that sort of being from another culture, another space. And finding that that largely this Christian literature space is is a white space in a lot of ways, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and and even a priv- beyond just white, like probably more upper middle class at least. Right. Uh, yeah. And our and our most popular authors, you know, a lot of them are quite well off, right. and their examples tend to be, you know, when their their jet runs out of gas or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, I need to rest and go to my lake house. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, I I was with a very famous author at one point, and he was saying, like, he had worked on a book for two and a half years, realized he didn't know enough about it, and discarded it. So he was like, yeah, I don't know how these authors who write a book every year do it. And I was like, because we're poor? (laughs) Um, So we got to find something that'll sell. Uh, We're not writing spiritual classics here. Um, But... uh, have you found in addition to like feeling like it's just a, a different space or feeling like you don't fit in or, or misunderstood? Have you, have you found that there are places where there's conflict where people are trying to uh, silence you or pushing back against your message or your presence in the midst of that? Yeah. I don't know that it's um, 
I don't know, you know, this is the, this is the part that's hard because I feel like in the sort of Christian bubble, everybody is like nice to everybody's, it feels like at least everybody's nice to everybody's face. And then there's like behind the scenes, like all of the things that go down, go down. And so I don't feel like I've had direct conflict in terms of people being like against me, um, per se, but mm-hmm. I think that there are opportunities and doors that don't open and spaces that are sort of the gatekeepers kind of stand guard on, on those spaces because there would be pushback in, in certain places and certain things or um, just discomfort. You know, that was something that several readers had emailed me, you know, after they'd read my book, um, had emailed me and, and they were just like, I'm, it was very uncomfortable. Um, because it challenges some of those ideas of privilege and of, of whiteness and of health and of wealth and what we, what we think of as, you know, hashtag blessed life. Um, Are they emailing you to correct you or? um, No, I think, you know, the ones that have emailed me, no, I think more to, you know, to say this, this has sort of opened my eyes. I haven't gotten um, a lot of hate in terms of those, those kind of things. But, you know, I think that, that, that what runs alongside, I'm also not a huge voice, you know, I'm not, a, I don't have a huge platform. I'm not super famous. I'm not, you know, so I think my message kind of comes in under the radar and there are people that are interested in reading it, but I'm sort of the anti, um, you know, like there's the Rachel Hollis phenomenon of like, the branding and the, I sold a billion and a half copies and I've, you know, the self help and the the curated imperfection where people like, Oh, she's so vulnerable, but she shows like just the snapshot of things that she used to struggle with, you know? And I think that that's, that's really, that's really common. I used to, I was poor and I was this, but then I built this empire and now I have this, you know, $5,000 purse. And I, you know, like all of these things. And I am probably, I think there was a lit hub, article that talked about some of this and, and um, the author had said that I was like, you know, the antithesis yes, sort of, yeah, of, that. of the, of the Rachel Hollis sort of girl washer face. Like <laughs> I'm the exact opposite of like everything that she says and advocates for. I'm like, no, you know, so it's like go after your dreams and like, sometimes your dreams will die, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, those kind of things like believe in yourself and choose joy. And I'm like, you know, so I was saying, yeah, my book would be more apt, like girl, just go ahead and weep, you know, (laughs) like girl, wash your face and move on. Um, so I'm preaching a message that, that runs contrary to what is best selling. Um, and what a lot of sort of, I think white evangelical women in the blogosphere are gobbling up. Um, well, and I don't know that I'm opposed. I think I might just be ignored. That, that's what that's what I was gonna say is like I think a lot of times the the kind of rejection that privilege affords us is the rejection by ignoring mm-hmm. right um, yeah. you don't have to you don't have to write a blog post or email a correction or whatever you just ignore it don't invite her to speak at your event and you right. don't pass the book along and you don't uh, you know you don't like as you said like extend access to those spaces. Right. Um, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I don't know if any of you have read, uh, Carol Anderson's book, white rage, but she talks about how the, 
how white privilege is very often like cold and calculated. It's not this like fiery, angry, right. like kind of confrontational kind of a thing. Right. It's like this it's very, very mean girl, sort of polite to your face kind of behind the scene. Um, I mean, I think that that does happen in circles where the inner in and the outer out. And, you know, we talk about like being the voice for the voiceless, but I, you know, everybody has a voice and just are not heard. And, um, and I think that is problematic in, in what we, what is produced in Christian publishing and what people are um, consuming, especially for women, especially for women. Very much for women. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it feels like, well, and the reason why I love your book is that there's, I think that there is the curated, like you said, it's a curated vulnerability mm-hmm. that looks really pretty at right. the end. Yeah. And and I know you and I have talked a little bit about this privately. Like I'm, so socioeconomically, we're definitely in a different space. Mm-hmm. Um, and And yet the reality around for you bipolar, for me, um, the depression is this doesn't go away. Right. <laughs> right. And so yeah. the, you can't Instagram that. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and right. You can't. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. And, and, um, and there aren't convenient ways to talk about like, Oh, well, yeah, I actually bailed on that contract. Right. You know, I didn't go to that conference. Yeah. Why? Cause I just couldn't pull it together. Right. And though they say like, oh, we understand, right. I've never been invited back. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and just even in the front end, what, what extra accommodations are they going to have to make for somebody who struggles with disability or struggles with right. mental illness or struggles with access? How, you know, what extra things are they going to have to do? It's just easier to book the people that, I mean, that's why you see conference lineups with the same, you know, half a dozen people every single time. And, and for a long time, especially in a lot of the spaces that I was writing in, that's what I continued to see, just the same people over and over. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I do think, you know, the Laura Turner wrote the BuzzFeed article um, on um, Girl, Wash Your Face. And she, she used that term, curated imperfection. It's this sort of showing, uh, you know, it's that like the Instagram where it's like, woke up like this, hashtag no filter. And they're like, streaming beautiful sunlight in their, you know, anthropology home and <laughs> hairs all like, you know, bedhead sexy. And I'm just like, dude, my just woke up like this, like, you know, it's like zit cream. And I mean, it's just, it's just a different, a different world. And so I think. But they're lying, a, right? I uh, mean, probably. I mean, yeah. or just showing, or just showing, you know, I mean, all of us do that. Nobody, you know, is putting everything out there. We, they're cropping we just, the picture. Yeah. Right. They're cropping it out and they're using the filter and they're, and they're showing this is, you know, this is how I want my life to look and how I want to appear. And I think the more pressure we put on branding and Christian celebrity and these people that, um, that are followed, not necessarily because their message or because of their writing skill or because of their craft, it's really because of their marketing skills and their, their ability to brand themselves as an icon, as something that we look to as being something that we either want to achieve or that we relate to in some way. Um, And I think even in that, it gets dangerous because then you have these people that are, you know, Christian celebrities 
um, that that go pretty much live these you know lives that are unaccounted for. Like they have a, an incredible level of power and influence, um, and that's dangerous for anybody if it's unchecked. Well, and it's so. I think what's so interesting is that um, I think that there are readers who are picking up your book expecting one thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, it is the easier digestible, tell me what your story was before. Right. And then now, how is it glorious? Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, um, and what we see a lot is what's actually reproducible. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has to do with that uncomfortable space in the Christian industrial complex. And I think particularly for women, female mm -hmm. authors in this space, um, it is that branding and that right. you can replicate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can create and you can curate that right. image and that life and write about that. Yeah. And, and so that's why I, you know, anyone listening, y'all need to pick up Aaliyah's book um, because she goes into detail <laughs> and it is uncomfortable if you've never, if you don't have friends right. who have chronic illness, who um, have abuse in their lives, who have experience in poverty, who, yeah. Well, and, and Kathy, I think, to Leah's point earlier, I don't know that we can that any of our listeners can honestly say that. Like we might just not be listening to those friends, mm -hmm. but we all. I mean, given just the statistics, right. like the reality is, all of those people are in our lives if they're not us. Right. right. And yeah, I think this book is such a good gift, both to, uh, to everyone. You know, whether whether I have um, personal experience with what you're what you're walking us through uh, or not, right. I love people who have that experience at right. minimum. And yeah, the, the ability to, to understand and empathize that you, that you give is I think a real gift. Yeah. I, you know, I think that was one of the, the motivating things too, is that for every blog post or article that I would put out there about some of these issues, I would get, you know, a handful of comments and shares and things like that. And then I would get 20, 20 to 50 emails or DMs or private messages from people that would say, you know, I've never shared this with anybody, but here's my story. Or, um, you know, I relate to this, but I mean, especially when I started talking about bipolar, I realized when I first started, I knew one person that had bipolar disorder in real life. Um, and when I started talking about it, I realized I actually know tons of people that have bipolar disorder that I just didn't know had bipolar disorder because they've never talked about it publicly. Mm. Um, other writers, other people in my life. And some of that was because they're not able to be open and honest about it because they work for the school system or they're in the, you know, they're an elder in the church and it, it, it affects their credibility. It affects, you know, when they make decisions, are people going to think that they're being irrational or they're too moody or too unstable. And, and so, you know, in order to um, protect their careers or their family or their, you know, whatever, whatever things they, they hold this silently, they hold this alone. And, so I found so many people that were reaching out and saying, Hey, I feel this too. And I feel really alone or I feel this, I'm going through this, but there is no place for me 
to just go through these things because my church, uh, my church doesn't know how to respond or my church doesn't, you know, know how to deal with these things, or I don't have community. There are so, so many lonely people that are struggling and hurting. And so what I found was by kind of opening the door and talking about this, what you realize is exactly what you said. Everybody has, has brushed up against these things, but not everybody is willing to engage it and talk about it and walk with other people during it because I, I think we all imagine that that nobody else gets it, nobody else understands, nobody else has been through what we've been through. And so, I mean, that was one of the most common things that I had is, hey, you put to words what I'm feeling. I thought I was the only one that struggled with my faith in this way or struggled with depression in this way. And, um, and so there's a connection. You know, when I wrote this book, I wrote it very specific, you know, that you, you fill out your, your um, book proposal and you talk about your audience. And I knew exactly who I was writing this for. And it was a very specific person um, who was hurting. And then beyond that, you know, the, the, the secondary or tertiary audiences, yes, I would love for people that, that love people that have mental illness or love people that are struggling or love people with addictions or chronic illnesses or, or that are, you know, church leaders or pastors that are doing, like, you know, the, the rings going out. Yes, I hope those people pick up this book, but I wrote this book for the people that needed hope and that are hurting and that feel alone. And I, you know, so when I was writing it, it was very focused um, on sort of being a balm for those people that have been emailing me and, and DMing me for the last seven years, you know. That's right. You were the overnight success, right? <laughs> You're so oh, lucky. Yes, I'm a raging success. <laughs> well done. We're glad you made it and all your problems are gone. Yeah, it's, I have arrived. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, well, we are about out of time, but Leah, I wondered if you would join us in a fascinating podcast tradition of uh, sharing something that is fascinating you in, in pop culture this week fascinating me in pop culture this we, we'll let you go last uh because yeah, we sprung this on you think about it yeah so uh so All kathy right. why don't you tell us uh, what you've got this week yeah so it's not really recent um it's not that pop culturally culture e i mean we could talk talk about game of thrones but jr i know how you feel about that we're doing that next week anyway so <laughs> Um, but I just finished a book called Why She Left Us. It's an older book, 1999-ish, I think. It's been on my stack for a long, long time. I'm not sure how to pronounce the author's first name. Reina, Rana, Reiko Rizuto. It's um, set uh, before and after Japanese incarceration. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's fiction, multi-generational, and I really enjoyed the book um, because I'm such a lighthearted, you know, easygoing <laughs> person. Obviously. Right? Clearly. Um, I, yeah, I just wanted to tackle the stack of books that I have, and this happened to be the next one. And I just really appreciated how um, the characters are just not perfect, which, again, for Asian American fiction, I'm all about breaking stereotypes as well as addressing historical realities. And so this was a really good mix for me. So why she left us. How about you, Matt? Uh, I just read this week a, uh, it's a post-apocalyptic alternate history, I guess, called Dies the Fire. 
by S.M. Sterling. It's it's really We're interesting. Such a fun group. <laughs> I know. Um, it it, <laughs> it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, which is really fun. Like it's mostly in the Willamette Valley, parts of Idaho. Um, but what happens is all kind of mo- the most modern technology all stops working, including things like gunpowder doesn't burn correctly anymore. And even steam doesn't create enough pressure anymore to like make steam uh, machines and things. So everyone assumes it's been done on purpose somehow. It's like the laws of physics have changed to some degree. Uh, and it really just follows a couple groups of survivors. So one is like an ex-Marine who ends up kind of building this small community to try and protect them. And the other is actually a Wiccan community in Oregon that uh, already has like communal connections and kind of does, you know, medieval weapons cosplay. So they're a little ahead of everybody. Um, and there's some problematic things in it for sure. Um, but I would say that, uh, it made me think more deeply about how modern technology affects human society in a really different way than I had. Cause basically this guy, the guy who wrote it is like, you know, millions of people will die in the first six months. And I was like, first six months. But yeah, he starts describing where our food comes from and how we get it and how are you going to get it now? And I was like, okay, yeah, I'd be one of the dead ones. Um, (laughs) I'm not ready for that. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's the first in a series. So I enjoyed it enough. I'll probably pick up the next one. Um, Yeah. I'd be a dead one. Um, I feel like I read that. Did you? Or maybe just have heard about it before because the title and the plot sound very familiar, but none yeah, of the details I, do. I, it it was interesting. Like, yeah, like I said, I, I didn't agree with everything as far as the author's point of view. And for sure, I would say, you know, it's written in 2004 by a white guy from Oregon. So there's some <laughs> ignorance about ethnicity. I feel like, um, but like I said, the part that was interesting was actually the the world building piece of like what happens if society stops working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Jr., maybe you could share a pick that uh, is m- more aware of the complexities <laughs> of the ethnic minority journey. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't. Other than the fact that it's written by uh, an Asian American author, I don't know if this makes the cut but uh have any of you seen the film arrival yes yes okay yeah. have you read the short story that that is based no. on i have <laughs> uh-uh. okay well uh the author's name is ted chang and you like his first short story collection which is the one that includes that short story i think it's called the entire history of you oh. or something like that um is brilliant and he just put out a brand new short story collection called exhalation and it is it's just staggeringly good. Uh, every story is unique and they all do what my favorite kind of science fiction is, which is really presses on not like how cool these new technologies are, but rather like what it what these technologies or what these different science fiction universes that he creates tell us about what it means to be human. So, for instance, there is a one story that is about. The idea that, you know, in the not very distant future, we're going to be able to have like retinal cameras that just record everything we see all the time. And so 
a journalist is writing an article evaluating a new search engine that's developed that basically lets you search that. So if you're like, when was the last time I had steak? Like it'll search and show you that memory. And he presses on the idea that essentially memory is going to move out of being organic into digital. And once it does that, the nature of memory itself is going to change because right now what we remember is it's largely emotion based. And so that, that alters how we, like, if you think about the things that you remember, especially the further back you go, they're, they're usually tied to a strong emotional experience. Um, we don't remember like most routine things because they're so routine, but he intercuts this whole story with, um, with a community that's learning the technology of writing from European missionaries. And so he compares like the jump from an oral cultural culture to a literate culture to like what this is, what this transition from organic to digital digital memory would do to humanity, like how it would change us. Um, But again, it's, it's all a story, right? So you're not reading like a a scientific text or a history book or something like that. It's it's a, it's a story and it's just, it's so good. The whole thing is just amazing. And like every, like I said, every single story was different and made me think about stuff. I can't recommend Ted Chang is just one of the, I think the best writers that we have working right now. He's His stuff great, is, is amazing. So exhalation, pick it up. Aside from the four of us. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously. I mean, he's number yeah. five. <laughs> Kathy, number your sci-fi, you know, is my favorite, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Aaliyah? Oh, you guys went with like these super heady, like novels about dissecting like culture and society. Um, It's our Instagram moment. Don't take it from us. (laughs) (laughs) I I have been, well, I mean, for what I'm reading, I'm reading the Brothers K right now. Oh, nice. um, The Uncommon Book of Prayer, Brian Doyle and the Collected Schizophrenia. But I am so in the beginning of all of those that I don't have a lot of commentary yet because I keep falling asleep every time I try to read. I am, I am trying to launch a book and I'm exhausted. So um, my reading has gone, usually I'm more of a reader than anything else. I'm always like a decade late with all of the like popular shows. I watch it like <laughs> 10 years later. I'm like, oh, that was so good. And everybody's like, that was forever ago. Um, but recently, because of how much I've been writing and online, I have not had that much appeal for reading books. So I have been, I binge watch um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my kids. Oh, yeah. And I just finished the whole, I'd never seen it before, knew anything about it, but my oldest son um, had started watching it and kind of got hooked on it. So that was what I would do after I'd been working all day. I would just go (laughs) binge watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my kids. Nine-Nine! (laughs) <laughs> yeah so now we have all of the all of the my, my oldest has like this incredible ability to remember one-liners from movies that he's seen like once or like an episode he's seen once he just i don't know he can remember the exact words and all the things so they had um for a while him and my daughter were watching without me because i was too busy working and they had all these inside jokes and things that i was like <laughs> what are you guys talking about? I felt so left out. Cause I'm like, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys laughing about? What are you going to, you know? So, um, I got to be in the, in the, in the group. Are, are you current? Yeah, now I am. Yeah. So you've seen the new heist episode. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So good. Yeah. 
They are. They're really good. And then my son was saying that it like almost got canceled or it got canceled. Yeah. Twitter like saved it or something. Yes. I don't know. I was like, I missed all that because I wasn't wasn't watching it then. But like uh, celebrities came out of the woodwork tweeting right? their support for the show. Yeah, that's what I heard. It was amazing. Was so I mean, amazing. I also tweeted, which I'm sure is what pushed them over the edge. Clearly. I'm sure you that's know. probably like, what it was. Lynn, 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 well, Miranda, like, you, you right. know. It, yeah. He and I both probably equally influenced. Yeah, had influence on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah so. obviously. <laughs> that would be what turned the tide. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, Aaliyah, uh, before we go, will you tell folks if they want to follow what you do online, where, where do you hang out in those online spaces? Um, I'm always on Twitter. Yes, you uh, I, have a, I have a blog, AaliyahJoy.com, that's like very, very neglected, but I do have a book page there. So if people want to find out more about the book, um, AaliyahJoy.com is my blog. And then I also have a Pathios column, um, The Fluency of Hope on Pathios. Awesome. And then we'll I have hope- an Instagram, but I'm I, I'm only there because I have to be right now. <laughs> tell me, tell me that's what I'm supposed to. I like I don't mind posting pictures of my kids and stuff, but for like marketing, I just I'm like this is the worst platform ever because I don't take good pictures, and I don't I don't have like a pretty you know my life is not anthropology, and so um, I just like Twitter. Twitter's where I hang. Nice. Oh, and I'm a Leah Joy H on Twitter. Uh, we'll put links to all those in the show notes at the fascinatingpodcast.com. Uh, as we're headed out, uh, Kathy, tell us what you're working on this week that you want folks to check out. Oh, yes. So um, I am on Instagram and I've been posting daily book recommendations for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So you can check that out on Instagram. And then uh, later in June, I will be at the Writing for Your Life conference and the Publishing in Color conference because I'm both a writer and a writer of color. (laughs) So they get two birds with one stone. Um, And that'll be at Drew University June 11th and June 13th. JR, you've Uh you've got something. I do. I said that I had an Aquaman article going up at Think Christian. Uh, it will be up by the time this episode airs. So apologies to all four of you that went to go check it for it this week and couldn't find it. Um, <laughs> apparently, apparently they're still running their in-game articles or whatever. Uh, no, but it, it'll be up. I was assured it will be up by the 20th of May. So uh, if you're listening after that date, which you have to be, unless you're one of the four of us, uh, then then it'll be up. So Matt? Um, I, you know, I write fantasy novels, young adult fantasy novels. And this week, my publisher updated the Amazon preview pages so you can see the awesome little maps in the front of the books. So not just the Crescent Stone, which is the one that came out last year, but also the Heartwood Crown, which comes out in August. You can see the little map in there, which is really fun and kind of goofy, but beautifully done. So you can check that out. Awesome. All right. Well, on next week's show, we're going to be talking with uh, writer, speaker, musician, former pastor, avid tweeter, Andre R. Henry about Game of Thrones because it'll be over by then. So we're going to do a whole episode on it. And Matt can't wait to share his views on the none of it that he's watched. Spoilers. (laughs) I watched the I said this before. I watched half of the first episode. Oh, you did? yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah, so stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you, Aaliyah, for being on with us. It's been such a treat to have you on. We'll have to have you back on soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's fun. Uh, this has been the fascinating podcast, episode two twenty seven. Thanks as always for listening, and uh, be sure to let us know what you're into this week, and take care of yourselves. Out.